I'm going to be uh, gone the next two weeks, um, uh, trying to practice what I preach. This time it's not going to be a mission trip, it's just going to be purely pressure, so don't feel sorry for me <laughs> this time. And uh, next week, Dr. Will Johnson will be uh, presenting the message to you. And then the following week, uh, I, think I, I think he's close enough, I'm going to call him uh, Dr. Paul Shockley. Uh, I'll be the first one to call you that. He will be uh, preaching to us the following week after that. So um, I'm sure you'll be very blessed by their messages. Let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And today we, we talk about a man named Abraham who you're very familiar with and restored integrity. Abraham and restored integrity. Our passage begins in verse 22. There's an old maxim that goes, who you are speaks so loudly, I can hardly hear what you're saying. As Christians, we have the responsibility to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And as strange as it might seem, Paul tells us that God is making his case through us. Now that's a humbling thought. It's far, far too common for believers in Jesus Christ to say the right words, perhaps even to speak the truth, and yet do it in a way that's so unlovely that the individual that we're speaking to hears nothing of what we say because they can't get past the manner of the one that's speaking to them. Now, the reverse also happens, and we need to be careful about this. There are people out there that are saying things in a real nice way. I won't name who I think they might be, but there are people that say things in a real eloquent, in a real nice and and really loving way that aren't necessarily true. And that's not what we're talking about today, but we are talking about speaking the truth in harshness versus speaking the truth in love. You know, there's a great apologetic in love. Just acting in love is a wonderful defense of the Christian faith. And how about acting in love and speaking love at the same time? time as we speak the truth. If we're to properly fulfill the role in this role of ambassadorship, if we're to properly fulfill the role that we've been given, we must always keep in mind that an ambassador does not represent himself or herself. And an an ambassador represents another individual or a nation, most often a nation. And because of that, the, the behavior, the demeanor, the dress, and even the manner of speaking all must be conformed to the desires of the one who has sent out that ambassador. You know, if, a, if an individual was, for example, an ambassador of the United States to Great Britain, we all would expect that ambassador of the United States, while that person is in Great Britain, to dress appropriately, to act appropriately, to not run off at the mouth, to not be seen out at the bars and drinking and getting tickets for drunken driving and things like this. We would be very upset if we as a nation sent one, someone to represent us and they didn't, then they didn't represent, as they say today. Or, or, if, they, or if they were in the middle of a discussion with, with the Prime Minister of England and something testy came up and we found out that our ambassador lost their temper just on their own, lost their temper on their own and started mouthing off or using inappropriate verbiage to the prime minister. That's not their place because they're not representing themselves, himself or herself. That's what an ambassador is. 
And Paul uses this terminology of us as believers. We're ambassadors for Christ. So you see, we have a responsibility to act and to dress and to behave ourselves and to live this whole life in a, in a, in a manner that's consistent with the way that he wants us to live it. We are not our own. We've been bought with the price. Therefore, we're to glorify God, not ourselves, in our bodies. Now, I, I don't know too much about LeBron James. I, I know he's a great basketball player. But I also know that he went to the Miami Heat this week. And if I was to take a show of hands, I bet way too many of us know all about that. I've got to tell you, I don't remember which night it was on, but I remember I even watched the show. It was a one-hour show of a basketball player telling the world, they kept calling him the king, telling the world where he's going to play basketball next year for, I don't know how many hundred million dollars. I don't know if LeBron James is a Christian. I certainly hope he is. But I'm telling you one thing, that that you run dangerously close when you have a one-hour special glorifying yourself. You, You run very dangerously close to not glorifying God in your body. At least I never heard one word of God in it, but I didn't watch the whole thing. But I admit I did watch some of it. I was curious too. But we've been bought with a price, therefore we're to, we're, we, we are not our own. We don't work for ourselves, we work for someone else. Therefore we have a responsibility, whether we like it or not, to behave in a certain way because we're ambassadors for Christ. And if we want someone else to listen to anything we have to say, then we need to behave in the way that our master, the one who sent us, prescribes for us. I'm afraid that our role as ambassadors for Christ is sometimes underemphasized by everyone, including me. I think we underemphasize the responsibility that we have in this area in our rush to exercise our personal freedom, my liberty, my rights. We sometimes forget that with freedom comes responsibility. And we have the responsibility to represent Jesus Christ well. Paul understood, he understood it very well, that hostile interpersonal relationships do not produce an environment where the proclamation of the glories of God are well received. If I'm hostile with my neighbor, it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to go give him a salvation tract. It doesn't do me much good at all. But way too much of the time, that's how we try to do it. In Romans 12, Paul writes this, never pay back evil to evil to anyone. So far, so good. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So far, so good. Now's the hard part. If possible, so far as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. That's the hard part. Now, granted, there are some times when it's not at all possible. G.K. Chesterton, who who, who had a way of saying things in a way that I would like to be able to say them, but he said this, he once quipped, he said, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors. And also to love our enemies. Probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> so Paul did through that, if it's possible, live at peace with all men. Sometimes some men make it a little more difficult than others. It's not the easiest thing in the world to live at peace with all men. Because there are times when the other party will refuse to cooperate. We've all been there, haven't we? You want to try to do the right thing, but the other person just absolutely refuses to cooperate. Nevertheless, it's expected that we take this command seriously. Because there's more at stake in your relationship with your neighbor or your co-worker or the grocery store clerk than than just an invitation to the next block party or perhaps a backyard barbecue. There's much more at stake than just that. 
If what we have is worth hearing, and it is, my friends, worth hearing, then we must not allow personal animosity toward an individual to result in behavior on our part that will drown out the critical message of truth that we proclaim. We must not allow that. Allow me, if you will, to put this in language that communicates. Don't worry, it'll be clean. If we're going to advertise that we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we can't go around acting like jerks. There's no jerks for Jesus club. <laughs> if there was, a lot of people could join it, but there's no club like that. You see, we don't have the, we don't have the right to be a jerk for Jesus. Now listen, don't raise your hand. We've all done that from time to time, but that's not part of the job description. As the Jews prepared to enter into the promised land, you, you see when they get, they're the original readers of this book of Genesis. They're in the wilderness when they get it. But as they prepare to enter the promised land, they needed to be reminded of this particular truth. As God's chosen people, we shouldn't be offended by that. We, we should be thankful that God chose the Jews as God's chosen people. They would be God's representatives to their neighbors, their non-Canaanite neighbors. They were supposed to wipe out the Canaanites. But the non-Canaanite neighbors, they were, they were to be a representative of God. They had the oracles of God, as Paul put it. And they had the responsibility not just to live consistently with that, but to proclaim it to their neighbors. If they were going to do that, they had a responsibility to act in integrity and in a manner that would properly represent Yahweh to the nations. That was their responsibility. Now, we know from history they seldom did it. But that was the responsibility as God's chosen people that they had. Now, if you fast forward to the church age, the church is the instrument whereby God is making his case to a lost and dying world. And the church includes you, me. We're part of that. We have this responsibility. But the Jews had a responsibility to act in integrity, and in a manner that's going to properly represent Yahweh to the nations. And that's what we're going to find Abraham doing in this little short narrative. It won't take long to cover it all. It's pretty straightforward. But that's what we find him doing today. Now, we haven't found him doing that on several previous occasions. We're going to be reintroduced to a man in just a moment named Abimelech. This is the same man that Abraham had treated with anything but integrity in the previous narrative, one, two, two lessons ago. But now we're going to see him getting this thing right. Read verses 22 and 23 with me. Now it came about that at the time that Abimelech and either Phicol, it's actually pronounced Pichol, the commander of, the, of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me, here, by God, that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my offspring, or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me, and to the land in which uh, you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear it. Now this is remarkable that this pagan king would even have to ask this concession from Abraham. Hey, listen, promise me that you're not going to cheat me anymore. Promise me you're going to deal with me in integrity from here on out. Just like I've dealt in integrity with you, I showed you kindness. You promised me that you'll show me kindness. And Abraham is, is very quick to do it. It's one thing that's interesting here. Abimelech says, it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, or Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, 
God is with you. Now that's an important phrase in Hebrew Bible. This terminology, God is with someone, as we saw last week, is generally a positive thing. It's generally a reflection of God's special blessing. It's much more than just omnipresent. The phrase is used of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, David, and actually of Ishmael. We saw that last week. And it's more than simply omnipresent. It reflects a special relationship with special blessing. Now, now some might argue that Ishmael is included only because he's Abraham's offspring. Well, okay. The same case could be made for Isaac and Jacob, too. When we get into those narratives, you're going to see that they were really no great shakes. So, but, but the thing is, I didn't mean sh- not like an Arab shake. I mean, they were, they were no, nothing special. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that Abimelech recognized just a couple things about Abraham at this point in time. God was with Abraham, but he also recognized that Abraham at this point in time was not a man that he could trust without reservation. So what kind of testimony do you think Abraham has at this point? He has a partial testimony because Abimelech recognizes you're a a man of God for some reason, unknown to Abimelech, for some reason God's with you, But at this point, at least in his relationship with Abimelech, he hasn't exercised integrity. Really, based upon the prior experience that Abimelech had with Abraham, Abimelech is perfectly justified in his opinion of Abraham, at least up to this point. And all all Abimelech really wants is some sort of reciprocal kindness here. I treat you kindly, you're going to treat me kindly. And this is a kindness that Abraham is eager to give. So he says, of course, I swear that. Verse 25, but Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. Neither did you tell me, nor did I hear of it till today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them into Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. So, so before, at least from Abraham's perspective, and I'm sure he's a little bit miffed by this, because Abraham really was a man of integrity. He just messed up that one time. At least, the Mimelech messed up that one time. So, before they get too cozy, Abraham says, basically, I do have this one complaint. I, let's, let's get this out of the way first. Some of Abimelech's men had seized a well that had been dug by Abraham. That's a serious offense, in ancient times, as well as today, in order for people to live, they needed water. In order for livestock to live, they need water. If there's no water, there's no point in staying in that region. And if you've ever been to that region, or maybe even seen photographs of that region, it is a dry, barren region. We talked last week about, or two weeks ago, about the, the bush. There are, not, there are not a lot of trees there. There are these bushes that one can maybe hide under but, or get some shade, but it's a very dry region. Without a well, there's, there's no point in him staying. He may as well move on. The, the term gazal, the Hebrew term used there, means to steal, to take, to rob, to be violent in the robbery. So when, when this well was taken from Abraham and his men, it was something violent. It was a crime, and Abraham wants to, wants to get this right before he gets too cozy with him. It's interesting here, too, that this is twice now that Abimelech, a great ruler, not a Christian or not a, not a believer in Yahweh, for all the world, we, we don't have any indication that he was anything other than a pagan king, but this is twice now that he didn't know what was going on in his tiny kingdom. Remember, he didn't know who Sarah was, 
Now he says, listen, I don't, I don't know anything about this. I, I didn't know anything about it until you just now told me. Why didn't you tell me before? Well, if he was a leader, he wasn't a good leader, because one of the things that a good leader does is he knows what's going on around him. Or he makes sure he has people that let him know, because lack of information will kill leadership. And anybody that's in leadership, and many of you are, and some of you are in positions of great leadership, you know what I mean. If you don't have information about what's going on in your organization, it can really kill you as a leader. So this is, this is this one little thing Abraham would like to get worked out. But what we see here is something good. And I'm so glad to be able to report something good to you about Abraham and the way that he's acting because he was one of the most incredible men of faith in, in the entire Bible. And when we get back to Genesis a couple of weeks from now, we are going to see that faith in action in Genesis 22. Perhaps the greatest act of faith that's ever been accomplished in Genesis 22. This episode demonstrates that disputes can be handled in a peaceful manner. You know, remember, the, as far as it's up to you, live at peace with all men. That's the overriding principle here this morning. In verse 28, Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean? Why have you set them by themselves? And he said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. You see, what Abraham does, he's already made the covenant, but he goes the extra mile now in giving these seven ewe lambs to seal the deal. What he really wants is for Abimelech to acknowledge the fact publicly that this is Abraham's well. Now, the only reason Abraham has to do this is because he's already forfeited his integrity in this interaction. He's already messed up. He has nothing to stand on, at least with Abimelech. So not only does he make the covenant, he's already given the, the livestock... They've done that. But now he adds to that seven ewe lambs. Abraham knows full well that his integrity is suspect. So he would very much like Abimelech to put a stamp of approval on this. I don't know if they still do it, but you know the good housekeeping stamp of approval? Remember that? I think he wants the Abimelech stamp of approval to at least say, listen, okay, he messed me around in the past, but listen, I recognize he's a good guy. That was a mistake. He's an honorable Man, some see the significance, some significance to the number seven here uh, as it relates to a sworn oath. That's entirely possible. It was the case in the ancient world that a person, often a person who would take an oath, would do something seven times if the specifics of that oath were not carried out. So hence, perhaps Abraham giving seven lambs would be something of an ancient custom but the text really doesn't go into it, so we're, let's move on to verse 31. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, or Beersheba, because there the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there they called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. There's a lot of discussion about what the term Beersheba or Beersheba means. Uh, I, I don't want to be dogmatic about it because that wouldn't be appropriate here. There are plenty of things to be dogmatic about. I'm dogmatic about salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, that Jesus Christ was undiminished deity and, and true humanity in one person for everyone. I'm dogmatic about the fact that he's coming again. I'm dogmatic about the fact that there's a literal heaven and a literal hell. And the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. But in terms of what Beersheba means, I'm just going to give you the options that are there, at least one of them, and we're, we're going to, to have to um, uh, 
perhaps agree to disagree with some of the study notes in, in your Bibles. But it probably means something like the well of the seven, which would make sense because there was the seven new lambs that were given to show that this was indeed Abraham's well. So something like the well of the seven and probably also in reference to the, to the swearing. The words for swear is very similar here. It, in a symbolic gesture, and don't miss this as we close up this morning, but, but in a symbolic gesture, Abraham plants a tree. Which indicates to me that he expects to be there for a while. A couple of years ago, I, I received a, a Meyer lemon tree as a gift. And I planted it not in a pot. You know, you can do that. You can plant them in a pot so that they can go with you different places. But I planted it in the ground. Because I, I wanted to, to make the point, not that I'm the boss of my family, but I wanted to make a point that, that we are going to be there long enough to let that tree grow up and, and have, have some fruit. So it was an indication that I plan to be there for a little while, if it's okay with you. <laughs> it's okay with her. But I see, that's what Abraham does. You don't plant a tree and just leave. You plant a tree because you want to see it grow up. And so Abraham plants a tree, which indicates two things. It indicates he means he intends to maintain his integrity and be there for a little while. And he also plans on using that well to make sure there's water to water that tree. In verse 33, we, we find that Abraham, who's at his best right now, he has his moments, but he's at his best right now. He's recognizing that it is eternal God that has rescued him from his previous lack of integrity and has restored him now to a good standing in the community. You know why that's so important? Because now maybe people will listen to him when he talks about how wonderful Yahweh is. But before, why would they? Why would they listen to a man who has exhibited no integrity at all and you're going to tell, he's going to tell you how to get to heaven. They can probably say, well, listen, I can tell you how to get to heaven. It's not, it's not passing your wife off as your sister. That's one way we can start. You see, he had lost his integrity, so he lost his testimony. And now it's been restored. And this is one of the gracious acts of God that we see in this text. So he's recognizing that it is eternal God. And in a, in a subsequent lesson, we'll talk about that term because eternal, eternality is one of the attributes of God. But he's rescued him from a lack of integrity and he's restored him to where he'll have a testimony. Now someone, maybe someone will listen now when Abraham says how good God is. Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Abraham called upon the Lord here, and that means he worshipped. And that's exactly what he should have done. As we started off even our communion service, we said that there, there's a tendency that we have that when things are going bad, you know, we show up at church, we, we pray a lot more frequently, we, we contact other believers for, for counsel and advice. When things are going good, we're off on our own. I remember when, when 9-11 happened, so do you. The church attendance in the United States went up either 30 or 40 percent, depending on the region, immediately. You know how long it stayed up? Four weeks. One month. One month. 
and church attendance was actually back to where it was, if not a little bit below. It's like losing weight. Lost, lost a lot of weight, then they gained it all back, plus a little bit. And we have such short memories. But Abraham, at his best, calls upon the name of the Lord, which we've seen in a previous study. It means to proclaim the Lord. Now he is proclaiming Yahweh to the nations. But he couldn't do it before he was restored in his integrity. You know, it would be a lot easier if we just didn't lose it in the first place. But when we do, we need to make sure, as far as it is as possible with us, that we live at peace with all men. The maturing believer will remember that. And will also remember the source of the deliverance and the restoration. And that's God himself. And we'll call upon the name of the Lord. And that doesn't mean just praying. That means proclaiming the Lord. Those who represent God have a responsibility to function in integrity and live at peace with their neighbors so that God's message, God's incredibly critical, life-saving message will not be hindered. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Father, I know that we all mess up sometimes. I know that there are, there are times when every one of us, even the most kind and gentle, has problems with those around them that might hinder our testimonies. Help us, help us to, through your Holy Spirit, to be quick to have that, those relationships restored so that people might listen to us when we proclaim your glorious truth. And, and may we never get in the way of the message. The message is too critical. Help us, Father. We know your Holy Spirit is the only one that will accomplish this through us. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.